I wanted to open up my message with that song today. A couple of reasons. One, it's one of my favorite songs. Uh, it's one of my favorite worship songs, especially when I'm struggling with something. When I'm going through a hard time, I know you may find that hard to believe that I would struggle with anything, but it does happen from time to time. I'll be transparent with you today. This morning, we're going to get very uncomfortable before God. As you begin to really maybe look at the storms of your life, maybe even where you are right now, my prayer is that we will all leave, though, being restored by God. I want you to picture this in your mind. If you, if you need to close your eyes, you can. You don't have to, but just kind of picture this. And I want to go through these lyrics again, but I want you to put yourself in each line. So instead of where it says, I'm weary with the pain of Jacob's wrestling, put your own self there as I share this with you. I am weary with the pain of Jacob's wrestling and the darkness with the fear. And the darkness with the fear. Morning, uh, he met the morning wounded with a blessing. So in the night, my hope lives on. Is this you? Are, you? are you wrestling with God about something right now? Are you trying to, to see who's stronger, you or God? Are you trying to see who should lead you or God? I can tell you how that will end. Wounded with a blessing. And when Elijah woke, surrounded by the forces of the enemies of God, he saw the hills aflame with angels on their horses. So in the night, my hope lives on. Is this you? Do you feel outnumbered at work, at school, in your community? I'm the only Christian in my neighborhood. Do you look around and think, I'm the only one sometimes? I see the slave that toils beneath the yoke unyielding. And I can hear the captive groan for some hand to stay the whip his foe is wielding. Still in the night, my hope lives on. Is this you? Now, I know this is a reference to the children of Israel being enslaved and, and tortured by the Egyptians but when I hear that, I think about ourselves. I think about myself, how, how we become slaves to our sin. I see the armies of the enemy approaching and the people driven trembling to the shore. But a doorway through the waters now is opening. You picture this? That's the, that's the Red Sea. Out of nothing, God is, is providing safe passage. So in the night, my hope lives on. Like the son who thought he'd gone beyond forgiveness. Have you been there? Too ashamed to lift his head. But if he could lift his head, he would see his father running from the distance. You feeling backed up against the wall? Do you think there's no way out? You think you're too far gone for forgiveness? Have you ever felt like that? I want you to know in the night our hope lives on. This is probably my favorite one. I can see the crowd of men retreating as he stands between the woman and their stones. And if mercy in his holy heart is beating, in the night my hope lives on. Folks, I don't care what you've done. Jesus said to the woman, go and sin no more. I remember how they scorned the son of Mary. He was gentle as a lamb. He was beaten, he was crucified, and buried. In the night, my hope is gone. Have you been there? Have you, have you been at that place where your hope is gone? Maybe you're there right now. I don't know what all's going on. But here comes the best part, right here. When you're struggling through the storm, 
trying just to figure out how to get out of the situation or let alone worship God through the storm. Remember this, this next verse right here. But the rulers of this earth could not control him. They didn't take his life. He laid it down. All the chains of death could never hope to hold him. So in the night, my hope lives on. If you have nothing else to hope on, know what, we, what I just said. And, and it gets even better. I could see the Son of Man descending. He's going to come back. And the sword he swings is brighter than the dawn. And the gates of hell will never stand against him. If you're in that place, if you're trying to figure out, how do I worship God in the storm? Know this. He's already victorious. In the night, my hope lives on. We're going to look at Habakkuk. Go ahead and turn to chapter 1. I'm going to pray in just a second, but Habakkuk went through through some similar things. He was a prophet. He's what we call a minor prophet. Uh, He was given bad news, if you will, and it was his job to share that bad news. And so we're going to look at chapters 1 and 3 specifically. And as you turn there, I'm going to pray. Father God, as we come before you this morning, as I said earlier, I know some of us have come with heavy hearts. Some of us are burdened with things that are beyond our control. Some of us are burdened with things that we may have brought on ourselves. But whatever storm we're in right now, I pray that you will help us cling to you, that we will have the strength to, and, and, the, and the, just the mindset and the consciousness to know that you are there among us in this storm. I pray that we will reach out to you. We will cling to you rather than turn away from you during these times. As we look at, at Habakkuk, at the message you gave him, I pray that our response, our reaction will be the same as his. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I told you to turn to chapter 1 in Habakkuk, but I'm no good at surprises. So I'm going to jump straight to the spoiler alert because I'm excited about how this ends. And I want you to know how it ends. And I'm going to read from Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Here's what it says. Now, that doesn't mean you can leave after I share this. You have to hear the whole thing, Okay. But Habakkuk writes, he says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. In other words, Habakkuk saying, In the night my hope lives on. Or he could be saying, Also, I will praise you in the storm. I think Habakkuk was a... Uh, You know, he was a writer of modern worship songs and he just didn't know it. The book of Habakkuk ends with these beautiful verses that I just shared with you. But you have to understand, it follows a couple of chapters of complaints about the injustices that are happening around him. And, And as Habakkuk is sharing with God his heart, God's solutions don't materialize the way that Habakkuk would like for them to. Has that ever happened in your life? Here I am, God, help And it comes around differently than what you expected. But in the end, Habakkuk learned to trust in God's wisdom. I want to read with you from from chapter 1. And it starts off, the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. And the next little title you'll, you'll see in your Bible says, Habakkuk's complaint. He's real. He's a prophet of God, but he's real, okay? And he's starting off with a complaint to God. How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. That is bold. Have you, have you spoke to God like that? 
you're not listening to me. Or, or cry out, violence! Because that's what was coming was violence, destruction. I cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Man, that's bold. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Have you ever talked to God like that? Have you ever been in that place? That's a dark place. But God has an answer. Verse 5, he says to Habakkuk, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I'm sharing this with you, so I'm telling you this so you can believe it, even though God told Habakkuk, I'm going to show it to you because you wouldn't believe it unless you were told. He said, I am raising up the Babylons. Who are the Babylons? They are basically sworn enemies of, of the Israelites. You need to understand that. Um, they're, they're also known as the, the Chaldeans or the Chaldeans, depending on how you want to pronounce that. The Babylon, Babylonians are not good people, and this proves it to you. That ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own, they steal. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves they, and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong, and their horsemen come from afar. Do you imagine that? They fly in like an eagle, swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. My thought is if they're that bad, why are you raising them up, Lord? Why are you allowing this to come? I'm like Habakkuk. What are you thinking? Why would you do that? Oh, because... God disciplines the ones that he loves. And, and he's letting Habakkuk know this is going to come. Habakkuk, bold as I think he is, has a second complaint. And it starts with verse 12. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them, being the Babylonians, to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. He's getting it. He's understanding that, God is, that God's will is about to be done. He still doesn't agree with it because it's still a complaint. He says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Have you ever felt that way? Have you looked at what's going on in our world and thought, why are you silent, God? Why are you allowing wicked people to devour good people? Habakkuk goes on, he says, You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet and so rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. 
Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? Yeah. Sometimes I think we're like Habakkuk, aren't we? We're convinced that God has somehow gotten it wrong. (laughs) Wait a minute, you don't mean for this to be happening right now in my life, Lord. Surely you don't. How How can you just sit there and do nothing? We cry out about the violence. We cry out about innocent people losing their lives. How long must we call the help before you deliver it? How long should we look at the injustice of our world? Why am I going through this awful time in my life where, where are you, Lord? After all, I'm faithful. I, I go to church. I tithe. I, I give to the needy. I volunteer at church. I'm involved. I do family worship devotions every night. And we forgive people when they, when they sin against us. I do all these things. I mean, I'm a Christian. Why isn't every day like the day I was baptized? We deserve to stay on the mountaintop, right? You're not with me on that. Yeah, the Bible doesn't say that either. Friends, I want to tell you something. Mountaintop security is an illusion. It is what our world sells. The more you have, the safer you'll be. The comforts, all these things. But mountaintop security is an illusion. And we need to make sure that we understand like Habakkuk did. True security, folks, it doesn't come from from your paycheck because it could dry up tomorrow. It doesn't come from your house just because your mortgage is current or paid off for that matter. Our only real security is God himself. And Habakkuk is figuring this out as he learns the secret to worshiping God in the storm. God is telling him, this is coming. And Habakkuk doesn't like what's coming. He even shares with God, how can you let this happen? We are destined to walk through valleys. However, there are many promises in the Bible that point to God not letting the faithful suffer unnecessarily. And that that makes me excited. And also, there are promises that show us we will not suffer for an indefinite period of time. It it may feel like forever when you're going through a storm in life. It may feel like forever when you're by yourself and you're struggling with something in that stormy time. You may think, this is never going to end. But God is there. And He is true. And He will keep His promises. And because He keeps His promises, we can praise Him in the storm. He never lets go of us. But it's funny. In my time in ministry, I've noticed that sometimes when things get tough, that's when we tend to let God go. We like it when things are good. But when things start to get tough, when we can't answer something on our own, that's when sometimes, even Christians, we turn our backs on God. But then there's the flip side to that coin where some people are the opposite of this. They, they cling to God and they cling to God's promises when, when everything is tough. And, and, and you're, you're coming back time and time again and, and everything is good between you and God when things are tough. But then the road starts to smooth out a little bit. And, and actually, we, we get kind of like King David. He, he got to that point where he went ahead and he counted all the, all the people he had even when God told him not to. And we get to that place where we're secure again and we think, well, look at me, I made it. I made it through that tough time. Go me. Yeah. And then the road gets smooth and we stop holding on to God. We stop asking for prayer. We stop coming to church. We stop serving. We stop doing those things because, hey, it all worked out. Sometimes we treat God like a security blanket. That's not what he's here for. James 1 Chapter 1, verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. 
The crown of life is much better than any physical thing you will get on this earth. I want you to know that. Some people appear to suffer more trials than others or, or more than what would seem fair in our eyes. And I don't have an answer for that except to tell you that God is sovereign and we have to trust him to do the right thing because he will. He supplies all of our needs. His, the needs that he supplies to us are going to look different than what we expect. They may even look different than what we think someone else needs. We may see someone's needs and think, or see someone and think, I know what you need. You really don't. I talked with a man last year. He told me how he lost his job, and it was a good job. And he spent well over a year before he found another job. And he said he realized that his family needed something more than him providing a paycheck. His family needed him to be there. He said it was a tough time financially, but he knows that God, and he believes that God used that time to restore his relationship with his family. He said their needs were met, but his biggest need was that he needed to be with his family. And God knew that. And God knew that that he wasn't going to be with his family as long as he continued on this path of, of what we would call success. Because he had a really good job and he made really good money, but he was gone. It wasn't what his family needed. So God provided a way for his family's needs to be met. And he was able to step up and reclaim that family leadership that I spoke about last Sunday. Regardless of what we think or feel, God is still on his throne. And more importantly, he should be on the throne of our hearts. I'll tell you this, never once has God deserted me. He's had plenty of good reason to, but he hasn't. How about you? Do you ever feel like God's deserted you? Maybe you've deserted him. Maybe you feel like he's deserted you right now. You're crying out, how long? No answer. Consider this for a minute. The toughest thing God asks for is for us to die to ourselves and be willing to sacrifice everything for him. And now hear what I'm saying. He wants us to be willing to sacrifice everything to him, but that doesn't mean he's always going to take it. What are you talking about, John? It's like an oxymoron. He wants me to sacrifice, but he's not going to take it. Listen, there's a story in the Bible about a man named Abraham. For most of his adult life, Abraham waited for a son, for the blessing of one son. And that one son was going to help answer uh, um, a covenant that God made with him, that his offspring would be more than the, than the stars in the sky and more than the sands on the earth. And he waited his entire adult life for a son. And he got the son. And what did God ask of him with that son? Do you know? Sacrifice. Here's your son. And at a certain age, after he, he really got to love his son. You know? It wasn't like right as soon as he was born. Now, they grew. He taught him things. They've bonded. And then God says, sacrifice him to me. To put Isaac, his only son, on the altar. God had no intention of taking him. But he wanted Abraham's whole heart. He wanted Abraham's whole obedience. You see, God points to whatever our Isaac is and he says, place it, lay it down on the altar. It's difficult to do that when we can't see the end result. God, tell me what happens if I lay this down. It's not how it works. Lay it down and God's going to provide. What's your Isaac? What's that one thing you, you think you've wanted or needed more than anything else? Lay it down. Give it to God. God points to whatever Isaac is and says, lay it down. Job lost everything. 
And his wife said early on in Job chapter 2, he said, are you, or she said, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. And Job's answer was, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And the next 36 chapters of Job are filled with him suffering and his friends giving him bad counsel. Where are you getting your counsel from? Are you getting it from good friends who are going to point you back to Scripture and, and reassure you that God is good and that God is just and that God is sovereign and that God is going to do what he says he is going to do? Or are you getting your counsel from friends who are like, ah, drink it off, it'll be all right tomorrow? That's basically what Job's friends were saying. That's my interpretation, by the way. It doesn't say that literally. And then in verse 38, or yeah, sorry, chapter 38, verse 1, the Lord answered Job out of the storm. Not only did he say, hey, I hear you, Job, but he restored everything. Do you know why God answered him out of the storm? Because Job was faithful to God during the storm. Do you know why he was faithful to God during the storm? Because he was faithfully sold out to God before the storm. Before all that happened, Job was sold out to God. Before you step into the next stormy season in your life, ask yourself this question, am I sold out to God? Can I lay my Isaac on the altar? God answers all prayer in his perfect timing, according to his will. Both in Abraham and Job's case, God honored their obedience. Maybe that's what he's requiring of you. Obedience as you go through the storm. Man, that's tough. Because you're already feeling distracted or broken or whatever. And, and now I have to be obedient to God and work through this somehow. We have no choice, though. We, we can either go through life with God or without him. I don't know about you, but I'd hate to try to live in this fallen world without God. I've, I did it for a season. It's not good. And regardless of what he asks me to endure, I need his comfort. When, when I can't trust what the world hands me, I can trust what God's going to give me. Are you waiting on God for an answer to a difficult life situation? While you listen to me read from Habakkuk's prayer, I want to encourage you to find one thing to praise God for today. Find one thing in your stormy life that you can let go of, that you can lay on the altar before God. This is Habakkuk's prayer in, in chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigayanoth. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. He knows the punishment is still coming, but he's saying, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I know the great things you've done for your nation. Consider doing them again. In your wrath, show us mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One, from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hands where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you, were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow and called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and, and writhed. Torrents of water swept by the deep board and lifted its waves on high. 
Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows and the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth and in anger you threshed the nations. God has given a serious shakedown to the nations of the world at this point. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation that's invading us. He's talking about everything that's going to come. And and he says, I will wait. I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation that is invading us. Habakkuk knows that God is sovereign. He understands that sometimes punishment has to happen. And he knows that something is coming. But there's one thing he is willing to stake everything on. And here it is, verse 17. He says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, yet I will... I'm sorry, I skipped that. Um, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in God my Savior. Verse 19, he says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. Can you say that in your storm? Can you say the sovereign Lord is my strength? I'm not going to get out of this on my own, but Lord, you are my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Folks, it's time to come out of the storm and God's the one that's going to see you through it. And I realize there may be some skeptics among us who you're thinking, well, that's easier for Habakkuk than me. God spoke directly to him. If God would speak to me like that, I'd never worry. Plus, Habakkuk was just a messenger. I'm sitting here right now battling depression or cancer or any other type of disease or calamity that you're going through. I'm on the verge of losing everything. It didn't really affect Habakkuk. He was just a messenger. Nobody shoots the messenger. Hopefully. I understand that. And I want you to know that God speaks to us today through his word. If you want to be able to worship him and praise him in the storm... You have to get to know him when the sun is out too. That's that's why family worship time is so important. So I preached a whole sermon on it. I wanted to bring this full circle for you. We can't make it through the storm if we're not clinging to him on a sunny day. Reading his word, communicating with him, understanding what he would want for us. I want you to know this too. You don't have to deal with your storm alone. That's, That's one of the things I love the most about on Sunday when the church comes together. Let's me know I'm not in this alone. You're not alone. You're not the only one going through a tough time. You're not the only one having financial issues. You're not the only one dealing with a sickness. You're not the only one whose friend stabbed him in the back this week. You're not the only one who insert whatever your problem is right now that you brought to church with you. You're not the only one. Look around real quick. Look at the people beside you real quick. Look at them. If you're in the front row, turn around. Look at the people behind you. Turn around. Look. Look at them. They're all just as hurting as you are at some level, in some place. You're in good company because we're all broken. We've all got a storm that we're enduring. 
you're not alone. A few years back, one of our members went through a storm called cancer. And through all the ups and downs and the twists and turns, what impressed me the most was as a couple, he and his wife came to a point where they made a commitment to each other and to God that no matter what, they were going to praise him through all of this. And I could tell the story, um, but it's really not my story to tell. So I've asked Billy Gray to come up and share with you all about the storm and what it was like for he and Beverly. Go ahead, Billy. Thank you, John. I hope. As John said, and many of you know, I went through about, or I'm going through about, I, I prefer to think of it, with prostate cancer. Uh, this morning, I want to share a little bit with you about some of the story. You may not know about that, because I hadn't shared it with a lot of people. About how I went through this journey, and how Beverly and I faced it. The journey began back in 2011. One, one July, I went in and had my normal physical, and the doc called, and he said, PSA is really up. We've got to do something. Well, Beverly and I have always been, and will always be, um, akin to the group of folks who prefer to follow natural healing. So we looked at it and said, okay, we can deal with this. I can do this because I knew people who, and know people now who have went through cancer, went on a, basically a plant-based, near-raw diet with lots of fruit, uh, vegetable juices, they were cured. Doctors can't generally cure you. They were cured. So I thought, okay, we're going on the diet, or I am. I didn't, didn't ask Beverly to suffer that. <laughs> I mean, giving up chocolate, coffee, meat, dairy, pretty tough. Well, I was convinced that through my efforts, and through my sacrifice, God would heal me. Well, two and a half years later, the PSA had just been kind of going up and down, mostly up, trending this way. And most of you are familiar with graphs. Then in early 2014, I got the awakening call. Had the test done, and whoops, it jumped enormously. Well, I realized at that point that my plan was not working. It worked for others. Why didn't it work for me? What was I doing wrong? After all, I'm following God's diet, the one he gave Adam and Eve in the garden. Why could I not be healed? I began to question my faith. Maybe my faith wasn't strong enough. It was then that I realized that I was following my plan one that I had decided long ago that should I ever get cancer, I would follow. I didn't ask God about it. Oh, I prayed, mostly just before the PSA test. <laughs> but I didn't let God take control. And worst of all, I didn't let others in. I kept this a secret between Beverly, myself, and a very select few others. I didn't have the help I needed. We learned later on how important it was to have others with you. 
James in chapter 5, verse 14 says, Is any one of you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. I called John that morning. I said, got a problem. Needs me help. Explain the problem. He called the elders. And that afternoon, or actually it was early in the morning, we met at John's office. And we prayed. And we prayed. And I got a lot of encouragement from that. And I thought to myself, or there in that meeting, look, I need more. So I asked the elders to do it again, and many of you were here in front of the congregation. I felt a peace. I felt relieved that the cat was out of the bag. Everybody knew now that I was a weakling. I had cancer. But I also felt relieved that others were praying. And I got a lot of good advice that afternoon. I ceased to ask God for a cure, but instead for guidance. Guidance in making the decisions that lay ahead, because obviously the plan I'd followed wasn't working. And I asked for courage to accept His will in my life. You know, often we ask God, Thy will be done in my life. But sometimes we're not ready to accept that will. I can assure you. I looked at the scripture and found solace in the book of Job. And John had just quoted some of that. You stole my thunder. (laughs) But after losing his children, his wealth, Job, uh, Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. May the Lord's name be praised. Then after the Lord allowed Satan to touch his body, he's suffering with sores, he says, and his wife says, curse God and die. He said, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Well, still not knowing for sure that I had cancer, I hold it out hope. Finally, I humbly sought medical attention and went to the doctor for a biopsy. I'm going to guarantee you that's humbling. <laughs> the results showed an advanced stage cancer with about a 50% chance of recovery. I don't know where they come up with these percentages. We met with the doctor in his office. He shared the news. And you know, it was kind of interesting. I didn't have any fear. I didn't have any anger. I said, okay. Because you see, I had peace from God. And I knew that all of you were praying. I did from time to time wonder why, as we all would. Was it my hereditary situation? Mother, daddy, my grandfather, all died with cancer. Was it from Agent Orange over in Vietnam? Maybe working in nuclear power plants. But I finally came to the realization that I needed a change of course. And God provided the opportunity. After much prayer, we just chose to undergo radiation androgen deprivation therapy. Ladies, I know how you feel with the hot flashes. And I do cry at movies now. 
<laughs> and after completing the radiation, the PSA is under control. Maybe it means the cancer is cured. We won't know for some time yet. But what does the future hold? Only God knows that. What I do know is that I am now at peace. I'm at a place where I accept and even embrace God's will as to when and how this journey ends. James challenges us when he talked about boasting and concerning the future. Now listen, you say, today, tomorrow, we will go to this city or that, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? Or why? You will not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears, then in a little while vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is God's will, we will live to do this or that. Friends, I leave the future in God's hands. Well, I doubt, <clears throat> well, no doubt, I am disappointed to have to deal with all of this. I don't complain. Not going to complain. Because one shining thing, it brought me closer to our Lord and Savior. I fully believe he'll get me through. I hope that one day I'll be able to follow my desires to walk every state in the Union. Go down into the Grand Canyon. Walk to Zion National Park. Maybe even get to walk with John and Dylan on the Appalachian Trail. But if not, I am confident that as Horatio Spafford wrote after losing his fortune, his four daughters, it is well with myself. Thanks, Billy. Like I said, I don't know what storm you're in, but you're not alone. You're not the only one. I don't know what you may be struggling with today. I just want you to know our response time this morning is for you. If you're going through a storm, I want to encourage you to come forward and and pray with us. You're not alone. Now, I want you to understand, you don't have to come up and share Whatever it is, we're not going to broadcast that you're struggling with something. We've got a place set up, and the elders are here. And if you don't want everybody to pray with you, we'll send you right out, and you can have that privacy. It's a good thing. But please don't go through this storm alone. Don't go home carrying whatever you brought to church with you. Don't carry that burden home alone. Don't choose to anchor yourself into that storm just so you can get beat up by it. During our response time, choose to anchor yourself to God. I want you to consider, as we sing our response song this morning, how you're going to respond to that storm in your life. We can roll over. Okay, world, just beat me up. We can stand up and, like Billy said, nah, God's going to take care of us through this. And it's okay, whatever he decides. Will you stand and sing with us and respond accordingly, please?
It's been great to be here with all of you today, to worship with you, but now it's time to go. As you go this week, I want you to go knowing that the secret to worshiping God in the storm is spending time with Him in His Word when the sun is out. If you're going to go out into the storm right now, I want you to know you're not alone. But we're not mind readers. I can't guess what it is you're struggling with. Our elders can't help you through something just because when we see you on Sunday, we go, hey, how you doing? You go, man, I'm great. We're going to believe you because we wouldn't think you'd lie to us at church. (laughs) Don't go through these storms by yourself. I want to encourage you, find somebody that you can share with as you go. If you don't want it to be me or Andy or an elder, that's okay. Look at the people that came with you. Don't carry these burdens. Find somebody that you can pray with, that you can be encouraged by. Go today with the words of Habakkuk on your mind and in your heart. No matter what the storm is, because our God is true, we can say, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior, because the sovereign Lord is my strength. Claim that. Live that. Sing this last song with us.